y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 231. All right. Y'all know how we do. Let's get rolling. The first one. A few small incidents to share. Let me just first say that no matter my mood, you both always make me smile and laugh. Frankly, I just laugh at your laugh. It's so contagious. I found your podcast on Facebook through Paranormal Searches. I have the biggest urge to talk with a medium so I can talk with my dad. I just love all of that spiritual, paranormal stuff and the ghost stories. Here are a few events that have happened to me. My first experience would be when I was in middle school in the 90s. We lived in a small town in the Texas Panhandle, and we would often hear noises in the house. Almost as if the house was settling. You know, the crackling type noises. Well, one night we heard footsteps like someone was walking through the hall in boots but never saw anything. We weren't scared and just kind of laughed it off. We had a nightlight in our long hallway that had my parents' room on one side and my room on the other. There was one night my dad was laying in the bed and awoke to see in the doorway a black outlined figure with the nightlight shining behind him. He blinked and the figure was gone. Then another night I was laying in bed and I was feeling kind of restless. I went to roll over on my other side and as I did, I opened my eyes and there laying next to me was a very translucent figure of a man. I freaked out, rolled out of bed, and ran to my parents' room. We later found out that many years before we moved in, that there had been a house fire resulting in a man dying inside. After that, we weren't scared of him. We would just say hi when we heard the noises. Then around the year 2001, my grandfather passed away. I have to tell you about him. He was the quietest, most loving man who loved doing crafts, and would definitely tell you what he thought. He worked security for Wells Fargo until he was 86 years old. He refused to retire. Even when the doctor told him he should retire because his knees were getting bad, he told the doctor, no, you just need to fix my knees. He did pass at the young age of 88, naked in his bed after watching his favorite team, the Chiefs, win their game. When I was around him or any of his grandkids, he liked to give us hugs and just kind of poked at us or come up behind us and kind of blow out our necks if our hair was up, just to mess with us. Well, I had moved to Colorado about six months before he passed. And after his passing, one day I was at work at a law firm standing there making coffee. At that time, I had really short hair that didn't touch my neck. As I stood there, I felt a puff of cold air blow on my neck. Not like a slow breeze, like a puff of air. Now, remember I'm in Colorado where they didn't have air conditioning, so it's not like there were ceiling vents that could have blown down on me. Not to mention, I was the only person in the room. I instantly knew it was him, and I quietly said, Hi, Grandpa. Miss you. Fast forward to 2004. My father was in a tragic car accident that occurred about five miles from the road you turn on to get to our house out in the country. To this day, we still don't know why he drove past our road, and it's when he was turning around that a semi-truck going the opposite way veered into his lane and hit him head-on. The driver was under the influence and had briefly fallen asleep. That entire ordeal is a whole nother story. For many months, I tried to grasp what had happened and still wondering why he was where he was when the accident happened. One night, I was lying in bed, crying, and I fell asleep. I had a dream, and my dad was there. I couldn't see him, but I could hear him. It was pitch black in my dream. I remember asking my dad what had happened, and he says, Shauna, I don't know, in like a confused way. Then he said, all of a sudden, I was standing outside my body, just watching everything. I told him how much I loved him and wished he could just come back. 
A little while later, struggling with my grief, I went to bed and had a dream of my dad again. Only this time, we were walking through a field, and again, I couldn't see him, just hear him. He was telling me how it would still be okay and to not cry. It was then that I felt like two hands on my back pushing me forward. Not a hard push, but like a push of, it's okay to go. I woke up feeling such a peace and could still feel the imprint of the hands on my back for a few seconds. It was like he was telling me it's okay to let go and not grieve him anymore. Going forward, I felt so much better knowing he was in heaven and safe and he wanted me to move forward. However, I still mourn him and miss him every day in my own way. I constantly think about everything he is missing out on, but know he's watching down on us. My mom still to this day has constant dreams of him leaving her for another woman. I think she subconsciously wants that to be the fact than the real truth. Lastly, there was a day that I was at work. I had a small orange and placed it flat side down on top of the post-it notes. It had been sitting there all day. That afternoon I was working and that orange straight up rolled off the post-it note across my desk and past my keyboard. What in the world? It made me stop in my tracks and just giggle. Did that just happen? Yes, yes it did. I love all the stories from the listeners and the true crime stories you discuss. Hopefully, mine are interesting and help you fill up some airtime. Keep doing what you're doing, creep it real, and don't get scared because we're all here living for the same dream. Yours truly, Shauna. Okay, couple of things. One, my grandfather, who was also one of the most loving men I ever knew, passed away in 2001 as well. And when I lived in Texas, I never understood y'all calling that shit the panhandle. The Florida panhandle? I get it literally looks like a panhandle. The Texas panhandle doesn't look shit like a panhandle. I mean, I love you, Texas, but I mean, that shit don't look like a panhandle. <laughs> maybe maybe like a saucepan lid? Not the handle. Sometimes I wish life really was like a movie where you could go back and see what happened. Like, like you said, what made your dad pass your road? Was it he saw an animal up there? Was it, you know, like, what was it that made him do that? Okay, the next one. Hello, ladies. I hope you're having a creepy day. My name is Cindy, and I have a few sinister sighting stories, but I'm only sharing one with y'all for now. My first ever experience. Picture it. It was 1987, and I'm in my bedroom playing with my Hot Wheels cars. I had this voice in my head say, come look out the window. So I did. When I looked out the window, I did not see anything of interest until a car drove by and I saw my grandma in the back seat. She smiled at me and waved. I watched the vehicle she was in pull into the bank near our house. I went to the other window and saw the car park. The driver and the passenger sitting up front get out. I do not know them and I do not see my grandmother in the car. What the heck, right? Where did she go? Why was she with them? How is she with them? She died a couple of years ago. Maybe even more than that. When I was young, the time didn't matter to me. This grandma and I share a birthday, and it was close to my birthday when this happened. I even share a middle name with her. I'm not sure why she appeared to me. Maybe because of the shared birthday, the middle names. Or maybe she just wanted to let me know she loved me and is watching over me. It was definitely my first of many encounters with the supernatural, the unknown. You are free to use my name. I love you ladies and the work you do. Creep it real and don't get scared now, Cindy. I feel like that's such a grandma thing to do. Like I just pictured this like little lady like just 
being in the back seat and being like, hey, like just waving. I don't know. I picture my mom doing that because she would wave at cars when we'd pass, but like she just wouldn't like just put a finger up or anything. She'd like wave, like extend her hand and wave. Especially that guy on the motorcycle that had the orange gloves. Yes. I haven't seen him lately. He died. What? I'm pretty sure he died. I did not know that. I'm pretty sure. Oh, shit. And I'm pretty sure you knew that. Grandma just said, look, I got some business to attend to. So say hey, but then mind your business. (laughs) Again, I say it all the time. I'm going to be that ghost that has shit to do in the afterlife. I just want to rest. Her grandma was going for a joyride. Or was she going to the bank to take care of business? I'm going to be a fucking busy ghost and I don't like it. (laughs) Also, if that was your first experience, we can't wait to hear the next. Okay, the next one. A true crime-ish story. Hey y'all, it's George B. from Mississippi here again. I hope everyone is doing well. I'm going to speculate that it's December when this is read. Let's see how close to the mark I get. Well, it's September because um, y'all need to send in some damn stories. In any case, I actually have a true crime-ish story for y'all rather than a paranormal one. I'll let y'all decide if I did the right thing or not. Cue suspenseful music. Today is June 22nd, 2023 for those keeping track. This air quote incident was June 9th, a Friday evening, almost two weeks ago. So anyway, for those not in the know, I work at an upscale wine and spirit store and I'm usually one of the closers. On Friday is when my boo Steve comes down to spend the weekend with me. Since I don't get off work until 9 p.m. and he works a double at his business about an hour away from me, he likes for us to meet at a local ice cream place after I get off work so he can have a little treat. And this Friday was no exception. So at closing time, I'm looking forward to see him for the first time in a week, and I'm just doing the regular closing procedures. I just finished running the daily reports, and I'm counting out the deposit when I see a good-looking young guy walk quickly to the front door, try to open it, thank goodness we lock it at closing, and then proceeds to bang on the door while looking at me through the window. I yell to him that we're closed, but he just bangs again on the door with one hand while gesturing me to come to the door with the other. Now, we've had some aggressive customers that try to come in after closing to buy, but with one exception, none of us are going to let them in. The one exception has been known for his, quote, favorite customers to go ahead, let them in, and then leave information about their purchase along with their cash for the transaction at opening in the morning. My personal thoughts are that we open 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. If you can't get here during those hours, you don't need it, but I digress. So I have this guy trying to get me to open the door. To a closed liquor store, red flags are popping up all over for me. But I walk over to the door and do not make a move to unlock it, and I ask through the glass what he wants. He then tells me he has locked his keys in his car. He points towards a white Mustang parked not only across the nearly deserted parking lot, but also towards the other end, well away from my store. He then asks if I can open the door for him. Bitch, does it say locksmith on either door or my forehead? I just shake my head and tell him, no, I can't. Then he says, do you know how to open it? Again, I shake my head. I don't, I say. He gets this look of disgust all over his face, then stomps away. So then, I'm left feeling guilty, wondering if I had done the right thing. But hell, even if I did know how to break into a vehicle, I certainly wouldn't try it on someone else's. 
First of all, I'd be liable if I damaged the car. And second, who's to say that car is really his? He might have been trying to steal it. And then there's the question of, was he trying to get me to open the door to rob me and the store? And yep, Donna, I know it rhymes. While these thoughts are going through my head, my coworker, whom I called Coco in a previous story, came back up to the front from where he'd been doing the other closing procedures at the rear of the store. He asked, did that guy just try to get in here? So I told him what happened, and he agreed that he did the right thing, and we went back to finishing the closing. Afterwards, when we went our separate ways, and as soon as I'm leaving the parking lot in my vehicle, I drove past the white Mustang and didn't see the guy. However, I then looked to my right, and I saw him sitting on the curb outside the sushi restaurant in the strip mall on his phone. I almost stopped and asked if I could give him a ride somewhere to get a second set of keys or something, but reasoned with myself that he was on the phone and was probably getting help very soon. When I joined Steve and our friends at the ice cream parlor, I told them the story and they agreed that I did the right thing and that I shouldn't feel guilty since he was on his phone. Since that night, I've seen him several times as he apparently works at the sushi restaurant, so what I feared could have been a setup for a true crime obviously wasn't. It was just true-ish crime in my head, which is fine with me. I'd rather be an ish than a real thing. I've thought many times of going over there to talk with him and let him know why I would open the door that night, but I don't think I ever will. What do y'all think? Should I have tried to help him or was I right in having my suspicions? Okay, first off, George is thirstier, not, well, not thirstier, but just as thirsty as I am because I love how he said a good looking guy. Look, <laughs> you can always rely on George to tell you if it's a good looking guy or uh-huh. not. Uh-huh. Also, why, if he was working at the sushi place, had a cell phone, and was at work, did he need to come into your store? Right. That's that made the, no sense. Yeah. That's the weirdest shit. Yeah, that made no sense. He was definitely wanting to rob or buy something or something. Like, that was weird. Yeah, that was sketch. Because there's literally no reason for him to need to come in there if he had a phone to, like, do boop 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 a locksmith. Yeah, when you said he was on his phone, I was like, oh, hell no, then. And you trying to be freaking Pollyanna over there being like, should I have given him a ride? I should have offered him a ride. And you had ice cream to get, too. Also, what ice cream parlor stays open that late? Okay, the next one. Good morning. I'm a new listener, and I am loving your podcast. I'm so glad I found it. I have a story to share, and you can use my first name, but not my company name since I sent this from work. When I was about four years old, I'm 54 now, I lived with my stepdad, mother, and baby sister in a small town in Kansas called Bonner Springs. We lived in a house on a road with only one other house on it. There were a lot of woods around us, and we were not close to a main road. At least, that's how I remember it. I'll get to this memory later. I had a small bedroom in the back of the house across from my parents. I don't remember how long we had lived there when the following started, but I remember it happening like it was yesterday. The house was probably built in the early 50s. I'm not sure why I know this other than just remembering how it looked. I had only one window in my bedroom. It was a small window closer to the ceiling, so there was no curtain. It was impossible to look in or out unless you were standing on a ladder or over six feet tall. My bed was in the right corner facing this window. One night, I was in bed and not asleep. I've had problems sleeping since childhood, possibly because of what happened at this house. I remember it being dark except for the moonlight shining into the window. I was looking at the window waiting to fall asleep like I did every night 
when I saw a black figure at the window. It looked like it was on the outside, but I wasn't sure. I stared several minutes without moving. I remember being scared and wanting to leave my bedroom. I closed my eyes for several seconds when I felt someone or something breathing on my face. The breath smelled like something dead. I did not know what death smelled like at four years old, but that's how I described it after I became an adult. I was terrified. I remember throwing back the covers and running to my parents' room. My stepdad was not the most loving man and was mad because I woke him and my mom up. I told them there was something in my room and I was scared. My stepdad told me there was nothing there and to go back to bed. Let me just drop this here for a better understanding of my family dynamics. My mother was very submissive to my stepdad. Anything he said, she did, and I, as a smaller child, was expected to do the same. He was a good provider, but not a good dad or husband. He was never physically abusive, but always emotionally manipulative to me and my mother. My sister, his daughter, he loved very much. But back to the story. I started to cry and I was begging him to let me sleep with them. Remember, I was only about four years old, a baby. My mother got out of bed and led me back to my room. She said she would stay until I fell asleep. There was nothing in there when she checked under the bed and in the closet. She didn't bother looking out the window because, remember, it was very high. We got in my bed and waited for sleep. I was staring at the window and I saw this dark figure on the outside of the window. I knew it was on the outside because I could see the reflection of the hall light over the figure. I whispered to my mother to look at the window and ask if she saw it. She said she did and she grabbed me, ran into their bedroom, and told my stepdad. He was in law enforcement and always had a gun within his reach, always away from my baby sister and I, but always where he could get it if needed. He ran to my bedroom to look. He said he saw nothing and went outside to look around. Of course, it was dark, but he didn't find anything or anyone. This would also be the only night he would let me sleep with them and the only night I ever slept like a four-year-old should while living in that house. The above scenario, minus my mother seeing the dark figure, happened almost every night for two years. My mother never saw it again, probably because my stepdad told her she didn't see it, but I'm not sure about that. Sometimes what took place was a little different but something happened every night. I usually ended up sleeping in the doorway of my parents' room. At some point in the night, my mother would take me to my room. I know this because I would always wake up in my bed in the morning. Sometimes I would feel and smell breath in my face. Other times I would hear my name being whispered into my ear. There were times I could feel something cold stroking my arm. Many times, small things of mine would go missing or be put in different places in my room or other rooms of the house. Several times, I would hear a voice saying, I'm going to play with your baby sister, which totally freaked me out. After hearing this, I would just stay in my room because I thought if I stayed, my baby sister was protected from this thing. I told my mother all of this. Imagine a four-year-old trying to tell an adult that bad things are happening in a house and they ignore you because of what another person is telling them. Also, imagine that adult being your own mother. That made it even harder. I just kept telling her my baby sister could be in danger. Again, everything I said was ignored. My mother told me it was just bad dreams. 
but I knew the difference between reality and a dream, even at four years old. She never mentioned about seeing the figure outside my window, but I could tell she was just hiding it. I will interject right here and say what anyone might be thinking. My stepdad was not molesting me. Like I said earlier, he was a good provider, just not a loving man. He was the one that wanted to move us and nothing ever happened like this after we moved. Nothing bad ever happened involving him touching me or my sister that I remember. And I remember a lot from my childhood and it was mostly all good. I was very close to my grandparents, which were my biological dad's parents, and they were very active in my life. I stayed the night with them almost every weekend. One night, I decided to tell my grandma what was happening. My grandmother was a very devout Christian and believed that God is a protector, which I share this belief now as an adult because of my grandma's steadfast faith. But as a small child, I just trusted my grandma. She said we would pray over my room and God would protect me. One Sunday, my grandparents brought me home after a restful weekend at their house. Nothing bad ever happened there or anywhere else, just the bad house, which is how I referred to it instead of home, all through my childhood. My grandma told my parents I told her what was happening and she wanted to pray over my room. Of course, my stepdad said no and that there was nothing in my room and I was being ridiculous. My grandma didn't accept this answer and walked me down the hall to pray over my room. My stepdad was such a control freak that this was not acceptable to him, so he started yelling at my mother to tell my grandma to leave. My grandma and I reached my bedroom and walked inside it. The look on her face is etched into my mind to this very day, 49 years later. She was terrified just like I was. She said there was an evil presence in my room and she needed to pray. My stepdad was yelling and screaming at my mother and my granddad, who was waiting outside, heard him and came inside. He told my grandma that it was time to leave and she was inconsolable because my grandma was upset and so was I. She prayed for me but was never allowed to pray over my room. There were several times that my grandparents would come over for dinner and my grandma would walk around the house and pray for safety over me and my family. I was with them a lot because she didn't want me to be in that house. This eerie presence continued to happen for almost two years and it affected me greatly. So bad, in fact, that my stepdad decided that we should move because he couldn't get any rest with a crying child every night. I'm so glad he was concerned about me. Insert eye roll. Once we moved, this never happened again to me, or in any house I've lived in since, which just proves that it wasn't me, it was that house. Maybe there was something bad that happened there. Maybe a child was molested or something terrible. I guess I'll never know. To end this story, I will say this. Since all of this happened, 50 years have gone by, my mother and my grandparents have since passed away, and I have not had contact with my stepdad for many, many years. When I was about 45 years old, I decided to try and find this house. Not for any reason, but I just wanted to see it. I couldn't remember where it was. At this point, I had driven all over the town trying to find it. I could see it in my mind. I knew what it looked like. I knew what it smelled like. I could remember all that happened, but I couldn't find that house. I called my sister, who was an infant at the time, to see if she remembered where it was. She said she didn't remember, but would call her dad, my stepdad, to see where it was. 
She told me that her dad said he didn't remember us ever living in a house like that. Now, he was a dick, but he was not old. So it wasn't like he just got old and forgot where we lived. Why would he say he couldn't remember? I just went on with my search. I called my uncle, my mom's brother. I thought he may know where it was. He'd been there many times, but he didn't remember either. What the hell? I have pictures as a child in this very house. I know what happened to me as a small child. I remember it to this very day. I remember everything about those two terrifying years. How did this house just vanish and all the knowledge about it? It's times like this that I wish my grandma was still alive. She would know. She felt the evil. She would remember. That's my story. A living nightmare for a four-year-old for two years. It's something that I've learned to deal with, but I will never forget. And I'm still looking for that disappearing house. And if I find it, I will let you know. When we lived in Houston, my room had really tall windows and we didn't have a curtain for those either. And it was creepy also because I wasn't used to having a lot of like street noise or lights or anything, but we lived in a neighborhood then. And so there was noise and everything. And it took me a while to get used to that. And also that was the hottest fucking room when the sun was coming in. Oh my gosh. That room really was hot. That whole house was hot, though. That air conditioner broke all the time. Yes. Anyway, that's when you said it was like up tall and so it didn't have curtains. I was like, I'm picturing that room that I stayed in. And I didn't like it because it didn't have curtains. And even like you said, you had to be on a ladder to see inside of it or really tall. But it still was just like so freaky because I could just picture someone looking in there. So what you were describing terrified me because in my mind my imagination did that all the time your uh, stepfather sounds like a peach right I understand that kids do make up things and you know like sometimes it's like oh my god just go to bed it's fine but it's just like you have to take the time to reassure them and fine just get up and check and be like okay nothing's here you know like give them that reassurance or just let them sleep in the bed. I mean, what is the worst that can happen? But if you're that type of person, you don't give a shit. No, I know. And two, I feel like, I, I, did, I don't even know if you said what year it was, but like back then, you know, people just didn't understand how their actions affected the way someone felt about themselves, their self-esteem, their everything. Also, I can't believe your granddad didn't say anything. Like, to him, like, yelling at his wife. God, Colby would have lost his banana. And was your stepdad, like, that mean after y'all left the house? Or did it have a hold on him a little bit, too? I mean, seems like he was probably a dick the whole time. But, I mean, was it worse while y'all lived in that house? Okay, the next one. Hi, girls. You can call me Liz. I grew up in a legit haunted house. I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania, and when my youngest brother was born in 1990, our family of six moved from a townhouse to a split-level home that was built in the 70s. I have two brothers and a sister. Personally, I never saw anything creepy, but I experienced everything secondhand or witnessed my siblings' terror. Things started almost as soon as we moved in. Within the first few weeks, my parents discovered that our main staircase that led from the main floor to the top floor 
was made of hardwood but had been carpeted over. They ripped off the carpet and restained the stairs to their previous glory. Since we had just moved in, we didn't have any furniture in the living room. My siblings and I would ask to camp out in that room with our friends. One night, we heard my brother, who was around eight years old, and his friend yelling. My parents ran down and asked what happened. They said that the lights had turned on in the middle of the night, stayed on for about 20 seconds, and then turned off. It was one of those lamps that had three settings, bright, brighter, and brightest. My brother said it clicked on, clicked through the settings, then clicked off. My father passed it off as the builder of the house who wanted to see his hardwood stairs again. Fast forward about six years, I was a sophomore in high school. I was 16 years old. My mother had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer out of the blue in January of that year. By November, she had passed away. During the entire period of her sickness, our family was definitely facing some spiritual warfare. We regularly had ministers praying over my mother and family, and our family kept experiencing one inconvenience after the next. During the period that she was sick and received chemo, she was often uncomfortable lying in bed, so she would come down to the living room and sleep in the recliner. Our living room had a very large bay window that looked over our front yard. One night when my mother was sleeping in the living room, she screamed and called out to my dad. My mother said she was lying on the recliner fully awake when she saw a small creature with horns and red eyes scuttling across the floor near the corner of the room illuminated by the streetlights shining through the window. After my mother passed, both sets of my grandparents would take turns coming to the house, taking us to school and making dinner while dad was at work. My maternal grandmother told my father and me that she had seen a ghost of my mother in our house several times doing such things as turning off the TV and cooking in the kitchen. Both of my maternal grandparents also said that they would see a ghost of my mother in their house, the house that she grew up in. Although this apparition was of her when she was in her young 20s and in nursing school. Personally, my siblings and I never saw any ghostly evidence of my mother in the house. During my high school years, my brother, who was two years younger than me, decided that he didn't want to share a room with our elementary age brother, and he decided to move his room into the basement. He moved the bed, dresser, shelves, the whole thing. After a few days in his new room, he asked me if I was moving his things. I obviously wasn't. He reported that belongings such as books, CDs, and clothing items were always being moved across the basement and placed in weird places like on top of the dryer or on shelves that contained holiday decorations. My brother was unnerved and nobody in the family really liked the basement anyway. Just had a creepy vibe, like someone was watching you. One Sunday night, I distinctly remember this because we had school the next day, my sister and I, who shared a room, heard my brother shout from the basement and immediately start tearing up the basement stairs, then the stairs into the kitchen, and then up the main staircase straight into our room at the end of the hall. He was carrying his book bag, a weird combo of clothing and shoes that he obviously just grabbed in the dark. He threw them in the middle of our floor and exclaimed, I'm sleeping here tonight. Now that the entire house was awake, my brother said that he was lying in bed trying to sleep when he saw something blacker than black seemingly jump over his bed. His bed was in the corner against two walls. He didn't wait to see what it was and ran up the stairs. The next day, he moved everything back upstairs. I could go on and on, but I will save those stories for another day. Here's a preview of a future email. A ghost peeing in the bathroom, shadows standing at our kitchen window, a ghost that ripped shelves off my father's bookshelf, a black entity that walked into the bathroom, 
something from the basement yelling, woohoo! Then I have a lot of ghost stories from college. Love your podcast, ladies. Cheers, Elizabeth B. That poor brother, he didn't know what hit him when he tried to go Greg Brady. What do you think it was? I don't know. I don't know either. Something I don't want to have any part of, though. I do know that. Mm-hmm. And did you say a ghost peeing in the bathroom? I mean, at least it was in the bathroom, question mark? Is that what she said? Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, cut me saying that. I'm just making sure. Because sometimes Carrie just goes along with me and it's all wrong. <laughs> Even though she just read it. <laughs> well, we want all those stories. Please, please, please. Okay, the next one. My mom. Hi, ladies. My name is Alora. I found your podcast a few years ago thanks to my lovely mother, Elizabeth. Sadly, recently as of, sorry, sadly, recently as of June 24th, 2023, she passed away at a young age of 37, leaving behind me and my little brother, who is 14. She loved your podcast and she loved us. Almost as much as kidding, maybe. The last couple of days have been the hardest days of my life, and listening to you has made it so much easier to get through the loss of her beautiful soul. So in honor of her, sorry, so in honor of her, here are my, so in honor of her, here are my paranormal and true crime stories. When I was nine, I went through some pretty severe physical and sexual abuse via my sperm donor, and it was some of the worst time of my life. Obviously, thankfully, I got out of there alive and I'm thriving and happy now. But when I got out, I moved in with my biological mother, Jennifer. And that's when I started experiencing some pretty freaky stuff in her house, such as footsteps at night when everybody was asleep, you know, closing doors when nobody else was home. My least favorite thing, though, was when the ghost, who we assumed was this old lady whose kids had thrown all of her stuff out and burned it in our backyard before we moved there. Well, she used to like to swing the fridge door at my face at 3 a.m. when I just wanted to drink. I used to yell at her, Francine, if you don't knock your shit off. And then I would proceed to get in trouble because my parents would be like, why are you up at 3 a.m.? That's some of my stories, and I want to dedicate this email to my mother, Elizabeth. She wasn't my blood mother, but she chose me to be her daughter, and that's all I could ask for. So rest in peace, Mommy. I love you. Keep it real. And don't be afraid to be scared. Alora from Iowa. And we are so sorry for your loss. And you're right. Like, okay, she wasn't your, like, blood mother. But chosen family is just as important as, like, biological family. Absolutely. And and chosen family love you for you. Not because they feel like they have to. So that, to me, is even more special. Because it shows how special you are to them. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you to her for introducing you to the podcast and and for us to be able to help you through this because losing a parent is hard. Okay, the next one. Missing, Kimberly Raymer. Hey, ladies. So before you start reading, I just wanted to warn you that this may be a long one. And also, I would like to add that I'm thankful you guys read all of the emails sent in on your podcast because... Not only can we share our own stories and feel validated in the things we experience, but also we can share the stories of people who cannot share them themselves. With that being said, I want to talk about a girl who went missing from my small town back in 1997. Kim's story has been shared on Dateline and other shows, YouTube channels, and podcasts as well. 
Kimberly Raymer went missing from Op, Alabama on August 15, 1997. Kim was 17 years old. The evening before she went missing, she had just finished playing softball, hung out with some of her friends, and visited her boyfriend and got home around midnight. The neighbor who saw her arrive home that night was the last person to see her since. After she got home, it was evident she had been getting ready for bed, as all of the shoes she owned were indicating that she was barefoot, her purse, glasses, contacts, jewelry, keys, money, and her car were all there. Her father isn't home that evening, but when he arrived home on Saturday, August 16th, around 6 a.m., he didn't think too much about her not being there, as her mother would sometimes pick her up to shop, or she may have gone to stay overnight with her. But when Kimberly wasn't there by Sunday morning, he called her mother only to find out she hadn't been there. They began to contact friends to no avail and then reported her missing to the police. Some reports say that it looked like there was a struggle in her room, but another claimed that her bed just seemed to be more rumpled than usual. Nothing that would cause a red flag immediately to the father. There was no sign of forced entry. Kimberly's mother has repeatedly said that she knows who did it, but has not publicly named the person, possibly through fear of defamation. Suspicion was then cast upon 27-year-old Jeremy Garth Anderson. This was the boyfriend of Kim's sister, Kirsten, and the son of a retired Walton County detective. It was reported by a friend that Kim could not stand Jeremy, but Kim never told anybody why. Jeremy lived in Ponce de Leon, Florida, and was the only individual close to the case that refused to talk to either police, the FBI, or the ABI. He also refused a polygraph test. It's reported that several phone calls were placed to Kim's house from Ponce de Leon at 5 a.m. the day before Kim's disappearance. Jeremy drove a 1991 Dodge pickup, which he borrowed from his boss. Jeremy had taken the car to a friend's house in a panic and asked to ditch the truck. It was later found abandoned beside a church, thoroughly cleaned inside. Jeremy also had a violent criminal past and was out on bail at the time of Kim's vanishing. He remains the core suspect. Jeremy was the son of Walton County Sheriff's deputy. One Walton County detective tried to look into the link between Jeremy and Kim's disappearance, but he was later fired stopping his investigation, which could hint at Jeremy's father keeping them off the scent and using his connections. As the statewide search continued by law enforcement, friends, and volunteers, the FBI began investigating a pond in Florida known as the Steep Hole in Leona. The FBI sent in cadaver dogs to do the search. They used a team of divers, but the tannic acid in the water made it nearly impossible to see anything. They didn't locate any trace of Kim. However, the tip and the location remain a possibility. The case continues to gain wise news coverage to this day, as it appears Kim has simply vanished with no answers as to why. The parents are not and were never considered suspects. Kim's father passed away in 2010, never knowing what happened to his daughter. Her mother, Sue Infinger, is still alive and continues to search for her daughter every day. If I could tell her something today, I would tell her I love her very much and we wish that this never happened, Sue told Dateline NBC. We all love her and we aren't giving up until she gets justice. Kim's case has a lot of theories, and honestly, the more you dive into it, the deeper the rabbit hole you can get. There have been many search attempts throughout the years, rumors and anonymous tips, but none of them have resulted in much. 
I pray that Kim is found and her family receives some answers. Thank you again, ladies, for reading this and helping share Kim's story. Much love, Jesse C. That's so sad. It's so sad. And just thinking about her father passing and, you know, just not knowing what happened to his daughter. Thankfully, it seems that he didn't pass in this cloud of suspicion because that would be horrible. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing Kim's story. Okay, the last one. Well, hello, way over there. I wish I could blame my grammar on my amazing little man, William Timothy, a.k.a. Willie. But less than a week after I sent my story on the little people, Willie went to visit my mother. My mother had Willie for very few months before she was called home. Now I know that little man is forever on her lap under a lap blanket in his glory. Missy Willie. My story is about my reaction to the medication I was on for an injury. Darvon. No longer on the market and can relax of ever getting it while in the hospital. I was outside on the grass when suddenly this massive 15 foot tall praying mantis had me in his claws, legs, whatever you want to call him. He was smelling me and he suddenly opened his mouth wide. I woke in a cold sweat and damn it, on my nightstand was a book open to a picture of a praying mantis. No more Darvon for me. I did take Ambien and had zero problems though. Sorry girls. Smile and watch out for massive praying mantis going to bite your head off. Again, smile and stay safe, Linda. That sounds like a way worse reaction than some of these dang Ambien stories. Uh-uh. Right? Uh-uh. No thank you to Darvon. Right? Wherever the fuck that is. <laughs> also, I'm so sorry about Willie. Because I remember you saying, like, I'm sorry because I think he was a little chihuahua or something. On the keyboard? Yeah. <laughs> I'll say praying mantises freak me out, too. Mantises? Manti? I don't know. No idea. We're going mantises. This is... <laughs> they do freak me out. Uh-uh. Those, those legs don't like them. I don't like critters. Yeah. It's the antennas for me. Antennae? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> those little wispy things. I don't like them. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, thank you all so much for sending in the stories. And you heard it. You heard how close we are to catching up, so you gotta keep sending them in or we're gonna run out. My fears are coming to life. This is the second episode where I'm saying, send them in. <laughs> and where do you send them in? A paranormal chicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.